0: Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim
1: here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim, because I am really looking forward to introducing to our listeners a little peek behind the curtain. Are you doing as fantastic as I'm doing, though? How are you? I am doing great,
0: yeah, and uh, I am excited to tell our listeners about this conversation that we had as part of our subscription service. Now, you can subscribe to Missing Premium on Apple Podcasts, or if you're not an Apple user, you can go to missing.supportingcast.fm and sign up there. You'll get our weekly bonus show, which you're about to hear you get ad-free episodes and you get early releases of Missing, Crawl Space, and our upcoming true crime series called Dark Valley. All right, we're going to break quick for commercial here, and we'll be right back for this preview of our subscription show. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed
1: O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
2: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land
0: Welcome back to The Subscription Show. I am Tim, here today with Lance.
1: Lance, how's it going today? You know it's going so well because we get that sweet, sweet sound in the background. This elevated, highly elevated music that I look forward to every week. When we end on a Thursday... I can't talk over this. (laughs) Open it up. Let it breathe. It's So we end our shows on a Thursday, and I count down the minutes before the minutes that go by before we hear
0: <laughs> sweet, champ, sweet sounds next time. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. Well, it is May 11th, Lance. It's a Thursday morning, 2023. We are speaking to our good subscribers of Missing and Crawl Space Premium. And we are also releasing this on the public feed on Monday. So yesterday was Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to any moms who are listening. And uh, we really appreciate you listening to this. But we want to mention, you should probably check out Missing and Crawl Space Premium. If you're listening to this and you enjoy it, Eh, think about it. You get ad-free episodes. You get... Early releases, and you get our weekly bonus show, which you're hearing right now.
1: And you know what? We are always talking about doing new content on the subscription show. And this morning, we had a conversation about some new concepts. So this is almost like the testing ground. You know, like they have test kitchens for restaurants where sure. just a specific yeah, specific uh, uh, goal is to say, like, these are the experiments that we want to present to the public. Say, how is this going to go over? So you get to be the first. You get to be amongst the first to help us to craft our show. So we'll be having more uh, more of those coming up soon as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, and you'll get all the behind-the-scenes uh, information you can handle. I mean, we will tell you all about life behind the scenes here at Crawl Space Media and at Crawl Space and Missing and what interviews we've just had, what episodes we're producing all that business. And we also got to talk about our recent releases. And this week we released an episode with Melissa Rivers that came out on Sunday. So our audience finally got to hear that. And even though we were kind of teasing it here on the subscription show for, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks, but of course, Melissa Rivers is Joan Rivers daughter. And uh, we spoke to her in a wonderfully random conversation about life, about uh, entertainment, about her mom a little bit. A little bit of true crime. It was fun.
1: Yes, very, very small amount of true crime that I think we'd said on the previous subscription show that it isn't something that we really dug too deep into. We approached it with a lot of levity, a sense of humor, and big, big broad strokes on what we talked about with true crime. That conversation with Melissa Rivers was mostly because... Or mostly came about because we are in talks, I guess, with someone else who she's connected with. And the publicist was like, yeah, we can get Melissa Rivers if you want to do Melissa Rivers as well. And you and I were like, what? We we can have Melissa Rivers on the show? I remember Melissa Rivers with Joan Rivers on the red carpet back in the day. That never would have occurred to me that Joan Rivers' daughter would come on our show. So while it's not totally true <laughs> crime content, it's mostly like you have an opportunity to speak with Melissa Rivers, probably should take it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we're big fans of Melissa and, Jones and uh and it was really fun talking to her and really hearing her speak about her mom. She shared a really hilarious story um about her mom and her friend uh entering a restaurant in New York during the uh the madoff uh moment in New York City when Bernie was arrested.
2: So her best friend is this woman, Margie, who has, you know, sort of bobbed blonde hair, you know, of a certain age. Always wears dark glasses. Always is dressed, you know, very much like in black in this very New York. And it was during the Madoff scandal. And there was a restaurant that they always go to. And they had their little back corner where they always sat. And it was always my mom and Margie and Margie's husband. And usually like another one of their friends or whatever. But they always sat in this little back corner. So my mom gets there before Margie and her husband, and says in a stage whisper to the Maitre D as they're walking through the house, just be aware, it's Ruthie Madoff, and she really is trying to stay under the radar, so make sure you don't say anything, and so my mom goes and says, <laughs> and Margie walks in, the place, it was a small restaurant, goes silent. And she said everybody was, like, hissing and shaking fists at her. <laughs> She's like, what is going on? And my mother told her. And she had to stand up the rest and go, I am not rhythmic.
1: <laughs> and at that point, people are probably like, sure you're not. Sure you're <laughs> not. That's yeah. exactly what she but would it say.
2: was. say. That's the shit my mom loved to do.
1: Yeah. I also loved how... The episode wrapped up with her talking about her mom, her mom's sense of humor, and how her mom didn't see herself as or never tried to be the funniest woman in the room or the funniest com- woman comedian. She wanted to be the funniest person. And she just had those like professional blinders on. And really remarkable trailblazer, right? And you get to speak yeah. to a direct descendant. And so, yeah, listen to that episode. All of the um, links to Melissa Rivers' books. They're pretty much about her growing up, her mom. Her latest book, "Lies My Mother Told Me," is amazing, and it's not exactly nonfiction. It's based on stories of Joan and and Melissa. Still, it's it's great. It's great. So, yeah, pick that up at your local bookseller.
0: Yeah, I think she's
1: having some having some fun
0: with, uh, Jones exaggerations. Um, yeah. You know, which, which can be really funny, uh, especially if you know their exaggerations at the time. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah.
1: Really, really fun conversation. And be sure to go to Melissa rivers website and check out, all of the fundraising that they do. We didn't bring this up during the conversation because we were just having a lot of fun with the conversation, but she has a section on the website that's giving back, I believe it's called, and uh it's melissarivers.com and if you go to giving back, you can see how they contribute to these nonprofit organizations. Uh, it's just interesting. It's it's cool to see. Cool to see someone in her position using using that in the using her celebrity in the right way. And she also has like Joanisms on there too on her on her website. And Lance, yesterday yes. on
0: CrawlSpace on May 10th, we released part two with author John Wesley Anderson about the unsolved murder of John Bonet Ramsey from Boulder, Colorado, Christmas night 1996. Um, the first part was, it aired maybe about six weeks ago. We know that a lot of people were very interested in that interview and in John's book and about. All the evidence that is coming forward with that book, um, because his book, Lou and John Benet, it goes over Lou Smith, who is a legendary detective, who was hired by the Boulder DA's office to investigate John Benet Ramsey's murder. It goes over all of his information, all the evidence that he gathered, and he unfortunately passed away. And so John Wesley Anderson is a former sheriff and friend of Lou Smith. So he and some of their investigation group, they put all this information together, and John compiled it for this book out from Wild Blue Press called Lou and John Bonet, and uh, it's really informative, and it's amazing to me how polarizing this case is.
1: We're not done either. I mean, after we release this episode, there's probably... I don't know. There's definitely more comments on this episode than there was in the first episode, I think. At least that's what I'm seeing coming through. So we're not done. We're going to address these other comments as appropriate because some of them still teeter the line between what, do you, what, what are you thinking? What's going on? Why do you approach this particular murder with these huge, thick-lens conspiratorial glasses on when— a a tried and true known professional law enforcement officer had an investigation that did not point in that direction. But all of that aside, like these are the issues that we address in, in the conversation with John Anderson and we will address them in the future. There'll be more information on this. Some people might be asking, why are we tackling the JonBenet Ramsey murder at this stage in our professional true crime content creating careers? And it's because it's, it never crossed our radar in the way that we thought that we could have the opportunity to speak with somebody like John Anderson. And that came up, which leads us, you know, there's a connection to John Ramsey. So we're not just going to do a one-off episode. We're going to, we're going to take the opportunity to speak with somebody when it comes up, dive in and see how deep we can go. Right. And
0: so we, we kind of entered this bigger conversation about John Binet's murder. Um, with really with a blank slate. Like uh, I had no preconceived notions of what I thought happened. Um, But when I saw that John Wesley Anderson's book was out, I was immediately interested. A, because we can often get the authors of Wild Blue Press because we're connected with that publisher. So immediately I was like, oh, well, maybe we could interview him. But I also saw interviews with him online Um, speaking about DNA evidence and again, going back to preconceived notions in this case, like, I feel like a lot of people have made up their minds on this case. Um, and I don't really want to be grouped in that, but from my perspective, having not known anything about it and really only speak spoken with John and read that book, I've only got really one perspective and it seems like all the evidence points in one very specific direction. It seems like that to me. I know there are probably people listening to this right now who have taken in the case and have their own thoughts and are saying the exact opposite that everything about this case points to the family. And I'm saying, I think it points to an intruder, but I'm not an expert. That's why we spoke with John Anderson and, um, you know there are a lot of very critical comments of John Anderson on uh on the YouTube uh video that uh, I think you're referencing Lance that um I don't know it's kind of it's kind of wild with those uh preconceived notions. How frustrating must this be for for him and the Ramsey family going through this and feeling like they need to repeat this information over and over about how Burke has been cleared and about how The Ramsey's uh, DNA does not match what was under Bonnet's fingernails and the unknown male profile. You, You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think the way you described it as approaching it with a blank slate wasn't really intended, but that's how it happened because we weren't following it and we came to the conversation without these preconceived notions, but we knew that those theories existed out there. And we give law enforcement a fair amount of criticism when they deserve it, but we also trust that law enforcement has been trained to do their job that's your job see (laughs) (laughs) all right so that's we have a soundboard here too that's what you get on the (laughs) subscription show uh so anyway what i'm saying is what we what we've learned about this has come from two law two highly respected law enforcement officials john anderson and lou smith and it's the information that Lou came up with. He investigated this. He made these connections through actual detective work, through actual investigation. So that's the conclusion we're coming to because it's law enforcement. There's, there's no other avenue to go down when the people who have been trained to investigate murders and crimes are doing it appropriately and respectfully and accurately with a lot of detail why would we try to go down another avenue when the information but, we have is from somebody who's been proven to investigate
0: but there's also law enforcement who are pointing in a completely different direction which was disproven by Lou I think so um but yeah. as uh, as we learn uh, anytime we put out some content about this case like you know the the public doesn't necessarily agree with that in fact we've got uh comments here saying that John Anderson is wrong. Um here's one. Uh this is ridiculous and always has been. You need to ask yourself some serious questions.
1: <laughs> is right. So where okay, what questions do we need to ask ourselves? Does does I DNA not apply in this case? Do you pick and choose what DNA is capable of doing? Isn't that weird, right? And and you
0: know Wild Blue Press actually has—they have, like, a blog out, and they have, like, a little graphic that they made that has the five um, five pieces of evidence for intruder theory. And one is the duct tape found on Bonnet's mouth. Two is parachute cord that was tra- tied around her wrists and used to construct the garrote. Three is stun gun marks, which you'll see out there in comments is debated um, whether that was stun gun marks or not but it seems that lou was 100 convinced as is author john and on so i don't know why we wouldn't be on that um and then there's the high tech boot boot print that was left on the basement floor near where the body was discovered um and i did see one comment about this today saying that doesn't count that's law enforcement's well apparently not, or I, I guess that's debated. Uh, and number five, unknown male DNA found under Jambinay's fingernails and on her underwear. So I don't know. Like one thing, like don't you think if it was a Ramsey who killed Jambinay, that like that
1: that would have been an open and shut case, don't you think? Yes, 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 yes. It would have been an open and shut case. the The way in which she was murdered and how kind of sloppy the 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 murder seemed it, Yes. And you mentioned the stun gun marks and how this is the conclusion of Lou, that these were marks that were made on her body. And they are, are pretty much not pretty much. They are the exact distance apart on a taser. So what, what else are they? Like I'm, I'm looking at them in the book here and yeah. I don't know what else these would be bug bites. Right? No, I mean, there's
0: two, there's two marks, right? Uh, yeah. it's on her back and on the side of her face. Um yeah, I mean to me it seems consistent. Like like John said, it seems consistent with um evidence of an attempted kidnapping. And um I know people talk about the ransom note. You know, it's it's a weird note. Obviously, it's it's a very weird note, but I think if you look at it like it was written before the Ramseys were even home and the killer was walking around the house for God knows how long. I mean, some some rapists killers do that like golden state killer uh, night stalker they break in they'll walk around and look at stuff even there's been some reports of people doing that before they kill they'll do like dry runs so you mm-hmm. know just getting familiar in people's houses so i think the amount requested on the ransom can be chalked up to the time spent in the house probably before maybe an hour maybe longer i don't know um, and also, like, the weirdness and the multiple attempts at the ransom note and really the length and things like that. Like, the whoever wrote it was, um, like, I hesitate to use the word playful, but there, there's, like, some... It seems like some inside jokes in that ransom note, like, that are funny to the killer and not to anybody else. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it seems, like, very cliche. It seems like, and they're quoting movies that these yeah. lines could have come from and it feels like someone read a dummies guide to writing ransom notes and and took information from that because everything in there is like a cliche and you mentioned the amount which coincided with john ramsey's paycheck or pay stub or the um why would he be so dumb to do that though you know like if someone is that dumb to put in the ransom note the exact amount that he's making at work what, why not put two yeah. million dollars? Like Yeah, what, I don't really understand and, that. Well, how could someone that dumb get away with murdering their daughter in such a clumsy fashion? Right. It's it, it contradicts in my head. You've you've murdered this child, some people say like alongside your wife, and you're trying to make it look like a ransom or attempted kidnapping, and you've put her away in the room down in the basement and this whether it was if it if it was an accident you had time to consider okay what do we do now let's make it look like a kidnapping gone wrong okay we need a ransom note why in the world would you write down a number that's connected to you in any way just write a random number and why would you write a three page random ransom note ransom you know, note
0: the, the ransom note is like two and a half pages long um and and i think actually i think i saw that it's the longest ransom note that's ever like officially been recorded as evidence.
1: Yeah. I heard the same (laughs) thing where I saw the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So why would you set out to do that when the easier way to cover this up is to immediately call 911 and say someone broke into the house and we can't find John Bonet.
0: Right. People will say, uh, well, they weren't thinking straight because they just killed their daughter or, you know, their son just killed their daughter or something like that.
1: But they were thinking straight enough to write a three page ransom note. Right. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute.
0: I know. It just seems like that there are a lot of preconceived notions and people really got stuck on their opinion, including the Boulder yeah. police. And and maybe that's happening to us, like, for all I know. I mean, I don't know. I haven't really seen the other side of this. Like, I, I, I've failed to see it, actually. You know, I, I get the statistics. I Definitely, I get that, that if a, a kid is, is killed or... You know, obviously a break-in, a home break-in kidnapping, murder, not super common at all. Um, and a lot of times there is an inside element to that kind of thing. As we talked about on today's Missing, uh, even with the, uh, in the crimes of John Regan, when he broke into and raped Donna Palumba. Like, he, he knew them. You know, so the, while that wasn't her husband who did it, there was some connection to them. You know, like they were aware. So, at the very least, John Bonet's killer is someone who was familiar to the Ramseys. Um, and as we we spoke about with John Anderson in part two, is that there was like twenty five spare keys floating out there in the community, and um, John really turned that question back into, look, there was, you know, regardless of how many spare keys, the the killer entered through the basement window. You know, which I I appreciate him going back to that because he didn't really even say, well, it's possible, you know, the killer went in right through the front door and went right out that way, too. Um, While it is possible, in my opinion, that that happened because there was 25 to 30 keys floating out there, spare keys, Um, you know, I, I think John's right in that the evidence points to the window.
1: Right. And by saying that there were 25 or so spare keys out there doesn't really necessarily mean that one person used one of those keys. It could mean it just I guess on a on a on a lower level, it means that the Ramseys were trusting of other people.
0: Yeah. And it opens like reasonable doubt, you know, and then there was a key that was missing from the neighbor. Um you know, I don't know where that key ended up, but I find that really interesting. Like, I wonder where mm-hmm. that key ended up, you know, even though I, I think John's right and Lou is right that the killer probably went in through that basement window.
1: Like, I don't know. You know, why is the key missing? That's pretty convenient. If no one was murdered, I'd wonder if. Well, obviously, if no one was murdered, we wouldn't know. But one key is missing out of over two dozen that are out there. I guess that alone in my head is like, well, probably that makes sense to me. One key would be missing. If I've distributed these spare keys, I would expect one or two people to misplace them.
0: But this one was given to the neighbor, like for the Ramsey's benefit, if they ever got locked out or something like that. That's the one. Right, right.
1: So then, right. So then you narrow it down to like, why does this one stand out? Right, right. Yeah. This one stands out because they're across the street. Who took it is what I'm saying.
0: Someone took it. Yeah, I think like it doesn't just fall like it doesn't it's not like put on a ring with other landscapers keys or housekeepers like a, a ring of keys like it's someone took it or so, someone did something with it. I don't know. I don't want to focus on that too much, but I well, I just wonder I, I don't who, mind fo- who was in that house.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to focus on, on like the minutiae details like that because you never know where the thought experiment is going to take you.
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price.
2: Go to your happy price, price Priceline. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have, from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals. With your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.
0: Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Do you have keys to your neighbor's homes? No, but I, I just moved here. Did um, you? But we, Before? We... No. Uh, well, we lived next to um, my in-laws, so that doesn't really count, I guess. Um, you know, in a neighborhood like... I did when I was growing up. That definitely yeah. was a thing when I was growing up. Now I have a lockbox outside. So I do have a key that's not in the home, like that's, you know, outside the home that's in a locked lockbox that I know the code to. So I'm not doing it now because I don't know any of the neighbors.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have keys to our neighbor's homes and they have keys to ours because right. when we moved in, once we got to know them, we... They went away, we would go away, and we'd be like, hey, do you mind, here's a key, just in case something is you know, happening. So it's, it was after establishing trust, and we have absolutely no problem with our neighbors having our key. Yeah. So I, you, you, just, you see that just happening because you live in a, a neighborhood and you trust people, and you would expect right. that they would trust you as well. Yeah. So what does that tell us? That those keys that were distributed by the Ramseys were distributed to people that they obviously trusted,
0: Right. I Somewhere. mean, you know, it doesn't mean you're 100 percent right about any, nope. someone you trust. Nope. But no, not
1: at all. Yeah. So it means that there was some something else going on that wasn't seen by the Ramses, But someone, whoever did this, knew the house, knew that they were going to be gone. So there was some connection there. So it's hard for me, I guess my my long point is, it's hard for me to think that what happened to John Bonet was not done by somebody within that community who knew the Ramseys, who had at some level established trust with them. Maybe they did receive a key or maybe they were close enough to the people who received a key knowing that this is the key to the Ramseys house.
0: Right. Maybe they'd been in the house. I mean, there are landscapers, housekeepers, things like that, the people who did work on the house that all had keys. Could've been any number of those people or people that took the that key from that per- person, you know what I mean? But again, doesn't necessarily mean that the per- the killer used the key or the the attempted kidnapper. Um yeah, it's just it's just a weird part of
1: it. Yep. And it just again, it keeps baffling me how people go down these conspiratorial paths. Someone it's just, like, it, it's just, like, very obvious that someone was in the house, waited for them to come home, knew that they were going to be gone, waited for them, them to come home. How do you subdue a child if you're about to abduct her or, you know, abuse her? She has marks on her neck that are consistent with a taser. So, I mean, every every step is, like, almost accounted for. How, how is this, like, the parents covering up the murder?
0: It's I think it's really hard for people to believe that someone snuck into a house and did this. Like it's so terrifying and terrible of a thing to do of a crime. 6-year-old girl on Christmas night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so mind-blowingly horrendous that I think it's there's a measure of feeling unsafe if you believe that the killer is still out there versus a measure of feeling slightly more safe if you believe that it was the Ramses or someone inside that house who did it.
1: Yeah. And we wouldn't be having this conversation about people being full of conspiracy theories if the media back in the day didn't hyper-focus on the beauty pageant stuff. Because the beauty pageant stuff started to make the parents look like, especially the mom, start to make them look like they were being abusive. Right.
0: Yeah. And, um, i, w- I do want to add that, um, you know, it wasn't just Lou Smith and, uh, John Anderson who felt that way. Um, you know, a lot of listeners I'm sure have heard of John Douglas, one of the creators of the, uh, behavioral science unit at the FBI. He also believes in that there was an intruder in John Bonet's case. Um, and you know, he trained a lot of profilers. He worked on on killer profiles and, uh, did not believe the Ramseys had anything to do with it.
1: What does he know?
0: (laughs) And uh, so we mentioned, I think Katy Perry comes up very, very briefly in the intro. And that was um, kind of jokingly, I suppose, uh, even though this isn't really a topic to joke about, but I think there are so many conspiracies and that we saw that comment several times about John Bonet is Katy Perry. Like, just had to mention, just had to mention the fact that there were conspiracies, and uh, you know, say we see you, uh, but we're only going to ask John about the ones that are a little bit more grounded. Um, there and there's a comment here here on YouTube, one solved mystery, who says that Katy Perry was born in 1984, while John Bonet was born in 1990. Um, so clearly. I mean, JonBenet was murdered. She's a murder victim. She didn't age past six, and she definitely didn't go on to become a uh, a pop star.
1: Check that one off. Not Katy yeah. Perry. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> wow. More to come. More to come. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, you'll find uh, more conspiracies out there, like Ghislaine Maxwell um, there was, there was a picture, right? There it was, it's like, this is like a whole conspiracy theory based on one photograph, right?
1: Yeah. There's a picture of John Bonnet. I think it was at a, at a pageant. And there's like the profile of a woman in the background, not far in the background. She's sort of like over the shoulder and her part of her face is obstructed and you could look at it and say, it's Ghislaine Maxwell. I mean, she kind of has the same features, but so don't, like, millions of other women.
0: I mean, the picture would have had to have been taken in the 90s before 96, you know, or, yeah. or in the year of 96.
1: My first reaction was that this looks like the pictures of Ghislaine that we're familiar with seeing now.
0: Yeah, it's a conspiracy theory for sure. Um, Rolling Stone has a has an article about it. Pizzagate proponents latest insane theory. Ghislaine Maxwell was involved with JonBenet Ramsey's murder. Um, so I don't know that one.
1: Uh, pretty weird one. Don't even put it out there. Yeah.
0: It's weird to me that there are conspiracy theories at all. <laughs> I almost lost my mind when I saw uh, someone talking about um, the DNA c- coming from the underwear factory and, um, Oh yeah, <laughs>
1: right. Like, that makes a lot more <laughs> sense than an intruder.
0: I, I yeah, I, I that was that one's really blew my mind because the same DNA that was found on her underwear was also found underneath her fingernails. Like, uh, like talk about conspiracy. Like that's a conspiracy theory.
1: Trying to unravel the tangled threads of someone's someone's strange conclusions. So weird. Like, you're Rolling Stone magazine. Why are you even putting it out there and saying, like, this is a crazy Pizzagate-style conspiracy theory? That's exactly why these things get legs. You, you, You know, just putting the headline out there gives this story legs. We're talking about it now. We're not Rolling Stone. Yeah, but, I mean, at least we're talking about
0: it like it's a conspiracy theory and not like it could be true.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, so at least they headlined it appropriately and didn't write like, uh, "Oh, did John, did Ghislaine Maxwell know John Bonet Ramsey?" You know, with question mark. No, it
1: feels like it feels like sloppy journalism to me, Rolling Stone. I think it's it's tough. Someone's someone's going to read that who believes that and is going to say, "Wait, this does kind of make some sense here."
0: But how do you cover a conspiracy theory then?
1: I mean, why would you even cover this one? But for the. It's a random, maybe, maybe you're trying to get somebody to come forward and say, no, that was me in the picture.
0: No, I think for the reason, so people don't believe it, you know, so you're informing people that it's a conspiracy theory and not um, true. I'm sure that a healthy amount of people who saw that article hadn't heard of the conspiracy theory. So I think that's where the the problem kind of lies because they could read it and be like, huh. It's, it's yeah, exactly. i wonder if that's true but i mean the way that rolling stone framed it is isn't like that they framed it like this is a crazy
1: theory well they got their clicks probably i sound <laughs> such an old <laughs> they bitter definitely man definitely did i
0: mean i i like covering conspiracy theories i think they need to be covered oh, I for, love the, it. for the reason that we're talking about like you need to talk about this stuff because people could believe it you know and yeah we're not rolling stone and we don't have the reach of them but uh It's a, it's an interest. I mean, it's a, it's a cultural mystery how that happens to me, you know?
1: Right. And we have these episodes out there that are going a long way in disproving some of these conspiracy theories, but I feel like the more (laughs) evidence that's piled against the theory, the deeper the theorists dig their heels in on it. Yeah. Isn't that
0: weird? Right. And the (laughs) theorists are always louder than the, this is the more sensible folk.
1: Right, right. Do they just have more energy, or do the more sensible folks just realize oh, I'm kind of wasting my energy on this when I could be putting it towards something else?
0: I think it's I think it's both of those. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Well, you see what you get here, guys and gals. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get some psychological evaluations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So make sure to check out those uh, that episode and both of those interviews with John Wesley Anderson. I do think we need to. Con- this conversation some way um, because there were so many comments um, and what one, one person even called John Anderson uh, a real jerk someone yeah. someone says Anderson sometimes I think you're a real jerk like come on give me a break he's a jerk for coming on the podcast and giving what he you know talking about his book like just because it dis- you know this commenter disagrees with it doesn't make john
1: anderson a jerk when i think a jerk i think john anderson i think of those rude emails that he sends <laughs> i think about how he stonewalled us on the interviews clearly talking himself into these circles of lies he's like the furthest thing from a jerk i know he couldn't be more polite he's like so no. nice he's so nice. short of calling us sir
0: you know right. <laughs> And there was another commenter um, who who started writing and then wrote and wrote made two or three comments. And this person's third comment was, um, "Oh, you should check out this book named this. It's available now." <laughs> and uh, and I searched the name of it, and I found out that it, the author was the commenter. Yep. And and so they and they didn't mention, "Oh, I'm the author of this great new book about John Bonet's case called this." They just said, oh, there's a great new book. So it was like deceitful to begin with. So I removed the comment because <laughs> we're promoting—we're not promoting your book, buddy. We're promoting John's book. And And furthermore, if you wanted to approach us as a dissenting voice, why don't you email us and send a normal and polite email like John Wesley Anderson did and not like some bonkers
1: YouTube comment? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, don't go down the road of... They deleted my comment on YouTube because they knew I was telling the truth and they don't (laughs) want anyone reading my book that tells the truth, which is exactly what they're going to do. That's exactly what they're thinking.
0: No, but if you're hearing this, commenter, I removed your comment because you're promoting a book when we're already promoting a book about John Bonet, So...
1: Maybe go about it the way John Anderson did and have your publisher contact us to promote the book and say, this is right up your alley. We need to get the word out there about what this guy is writing about. He's connected with law enforcement. Send that same type of email that we got that was very thoughtful and considerate. And then send us a copy of the book so we can read it the way John's publishing company did. Maybe even once you get to know us, send us a signed copy that <laughs> from the author. That was nice. See, I that was love nice. John Wesley. From that jerk, went out of his way to sign a copy and send it to us. Oh my And then gosh. we'll have you on the show. Instead of leaving, like you said, a bonkers comment on YouTube. <laughs> we'll have you on the show to present your side of it. And it might not be comfortable, but at least you've gone about it the right way. And you've given us time to consider by reading the book and saying, "Ah, oh, this actually does sound like this person's got some legs to their their theory. Right. Are you connected to a legendary law man <laughs> who has a proven track record of solving investigations? Or just let <laughs> us know. Maybe you do. Maybe you know Art Roderick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you want to
0: hear that, and uh, you know, it, it came out on Crawl Space this week, so make sure to listen to that interview. Um, we will bring into the missing feed at some point in the next few weeks. um as uh, part one was on there is also on the missing uh, feed as well as the crawlspace feed. So you can hear part one on both. But part two is only on crawlspace
1: right now, And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors,
0: thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. But Lance, speaking of that missing feed, we did release an episode today about the crimes of John Regan who is a, uh, a real son-of-a-bitch, a rapist, um, an attempted kidnapper who is in prison, and it's a, it's a really wild story. And we first heard of John Regan and his crimes because of Sheila Shepard's unsolved murder, because John Regan, in 2004, I believe, was arrested for attempting to kidnap a high school girl, um, trying to grab her and pull her into his van. And uh, that didn't happen. Luckily, she got away and the coach followed Regan and he was arrested and then charged with a home break in, uh, not a rape in Connecticut um, because the statute of limitations had run out. But he broke in and raped Donna Palumba in Waterbury, Connecticut. And uh, so he did end up serving some time for that. Um, But it. The, this profile, this kind of criminal, makes you wonder what else, what other crimes this guy did.
1: Absolutely. And you described him as a real son of a bitch. But to quote Gary Greenberg, who worked with the state attorney general's office, he actually elaborated a little further and said he's a very dangerous felon and the likes of him should never see the day. That's a quote. So real son of a bitch, the likes of him should never see the light of day. How many criminals do you have to see before you can look at one and say you're you're lost you you you've gone over the the threshold of someone who can be rehabilitated. Back to your question, how what else did this guy do? What what else has he gotten away with?
0: Yeah. begs begs the question, right? Um yep. and again yeah, we, we heard about this case because of the Sheila Shepard case. Um, of course, we produced an eight or some might say nine part series on the unsolved murder of Sheila Shepard. Uh, those episodes are mo- have most recently been put on the missing feed in, I think, January and February of this year. And that ninth episode um, came out just like a month ago. And that was with uh, Michael Arnfield, who's an author and um, a former law enforcement and, and is kind of a profiler in his own right, and we're talking about the criminal, the the perpetrator, the murderer of Sheila Shepard, and uh, trying to get into that person's head. So there's about nine episodes out there about that case. Um, it's unsolved. We really haven't gone over any of the suspects um, because, frankly, we don't really know who's considered um, a suspect. Uh, we did spend some time with law enforcement who you know are still investigating that case from Saratoga Springs, New York, in 1980. Uh, but this is the first time we've really looked at one specific person. And by our rough math, John Regan would be about or would have been about 24 years old in 1980. So that is kind of the perfect age um, to have been, uh, you know, befriended Sheila Shepard, who was 22 at that time, and uh, you know, possibly possibly, uh, harmed her, but I don't know who, I don't know who did it. Don't know if it was Regan. We know someone did it. Um, I think that age range and that profile is right. Uh, but I don't know if it was him.
1: One conversation that I can't wait to hear happen as people listen to this episode is, I guess I want to hear a dialogue or maybe get some information, maybe message us. There was this whole statutory good time law that was in place which allowed him to serve time which allowed him to uh, build up time served and it was like this antiquated what's the word i'm looking for it i guess law is it law is it like a i, I, mean, know, I guess so legislation or yeah it's an old law uh so he earned over almost 1500 days just over 4 years off of his sentence which was applied to the attack on Palumba in Connecticut, and also we address like the the statute of limitations on rape. Like, come on, can why 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 is there one on that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not Mister like you know lock them all up, but and I get it. Like, there's a fine line between like our justice system is in place to protect the innocent, so you need to you need to make sure that the people who are actually innocent are well represented and have the deck stacked, not in their favor, but have a fair stack of the deck that there's a fair display of justice. But we've also seen many times where law enforcement just turns their, you know, a blind eye to something because they want something to be wrapped up neatly. Right. But I mean, I don't know what, a what a silly law, what a silly statutory good time. And you get to accrue all of these days and years.
0: Yeah, it was like scary. Weird. It is weird. And it was scary to think that this guy, Regan, was uh, days away from getting out of prison because of that. Um, and luckily there was a, uh, I guess, a state Supreme Court order that prevented that um, sort of in the 11th hour. Uh, and you'll have to listen to the episode for, uh, for the rest of that um, because I'm not super familiar with it right now off the top of my head. But we're just lucky this guy's not back on the street. That was close. It's very close. Um, And, you know, he hasn't been charged with murder, but he has been suspected um, in at least a couple of murders. Um, And again, that profile, his psychology being so dangerous and being able to break into somebody's house that he knew, perpetrate a rape at gunpoint, and then slip back away into the night and get away with it for decades, only to attempt to kidnap a high school girl, like you know and he had like a he had tarps he got he had ropes he had the whole thing in his van so this i mean you know this is the kind of psychology that either is a serial killer or
1: potentially becomes one yeah you
0: know if they're able to continue
1: great point because bringing up Sheila Shepard happening in 1980 with him being in his early 20s could be an example this is totally hypothetical theorizing could be an example of him attempting to do this for The first time or maybe, you know, the first or second time and because it was no sexual assault on Sheila. So there could have been something that went wrong during his attack, attempted rape. She dies by accident and that brings him out of the. Now it's not rape, right? Now you're now you're sexually assaulting a a corpse, you know, so that's not in his M.O. So he's honing his. Ugh, craft. I hate saying that, but yeah. he's hon- he's he's honing what he's trying to do. He's trying to get better at it, and that leaves the stum the knife wound in Sheila's stomach post mortem. Right.
0: Well, yeah. So th- there are some similarities, right? Um, there was no sign of a break in in Sheila Shepard's murder. Um, yep. But the killer was in her house and maybe took her keys and left out the front door. That's what it seems like to us, anyway. Donna's house was broken into. They were both, Sheila and Donna, were tied up with their own belongings. Um, So that's a pretty specific similarity, I would say. Um, And then I believe he had ropes in his attempted kidnapping of the high school girl uh, from Saratoga Springs. He had ropes in his van. So that's another very loose uh, similarity there. But um, I don't know. I mean, there's just not that many people with that kind of profile. There's definitely more than one in since from 1980 to 2004 in that area. But, you know, some of them are unknown, totally, completely
1: unknown right now. Yeah. And again, the more we talk about Palumba, Donna Palumba and her attack, it seems like if we were to go down this theorizing path, theoretical path, if we were to go down this theoretical path, it feels like somebody correcting something that went wrong in one of their earlier attacks. Like, somehow he managed to coax Sheila Shepard into a sexual act where her wrists and ankles were tied using her own material, like shoelaces. And something went wrong there. So what's easier to get somebody tied up, put a gun to them, but then immediately tie them up at gunpoint, as opposed to maybe wasting time trying to play into this consensual sexual act?
0: Yeah. I mean that's possible. I I think Sheila was tied up after she was murdered. Um but yeah, but I I I get your point. Your overall point of like an evolution, you know. I think one one thought in the culture out there is that serial killers don't change the way they um kill, but that's not true at all. They actually do. They evolve quite a bit. Um so one method in 1980 is not going to necessarily been be the same in Ninety four or in two thousand four. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's probably going to be different
1: if you don't want to get caught. Yeah. And if you want to make sure that you're doing it better, more efficiently.
0: Yeah, just naturally, it's going to change, right? Because yep. you're gonna you're gonna change your practices.
1: Oh well, my goodness! It's already at the fifty minute mark, fifty one minute mark. So we've gone. We we've gone, gone. On
0: here. Yeah. Um, just wanted to mention. Make sure to check out last week's missing episode about the disappearance of Dennis. Lloyd Martin, it is a uh, a terrifying case about a uh, six year old boy who got lost in the Smoky Mountain or maybe got lost in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, but uh, either way is is still missing. Um, and uh, Lance, you, you find a story about an eight year old boy who went missing for two days in a Michigan State Park. and uh, his name is Nanty Nimi. And his, him and his parents are doing some press now um, about it. And he's okay. He actually was missing for two days. He was eventually found.
1: What I found really touching about this was how articulate this eight-year-old was in the article and is when he's describing how he went missing, how he got lost, what he did to survive eating snow and sheltering in places. I found I found that really touching. And then it hit me, all of these questions that we had about Dennis Martin in the Great Smoky National Park, he's answering for us. This eight-year-old, pretty much around the same age yeah, as Dennis. We had questions like, well, how does a child who's looking at his group go missing? What... Compels them to wander away. What do they do when they're so far away? They don't know how to get back. And this kid is answering these questions. And then we were talking about how terrifying is it as a parent to be 50 feet away and then gone. And this is what happened to these parents. So we're going to be reaching out to them. Hopefully, we can get an interview with them. Uh, if anybody has any information on how to contact them, you never know. You know, shoot us a message. Uh, but we'll try to get in contact with them because. I love it. And we did it recently when we had Matt Dale on, who is the son of Gramby girl, Patricia Tucker, the full circle quality of these stories is so appealing to me because we talk a lot about the before and leading up to and the disappearance or the murder of, or everything up to the tragedy. And it's, it's rare to get the answers after and any source, any sense of closure after. So talking about Dennis Martin we had all these questions no answers and then this this story is offered up and i love it yeah this is this is a modern day example but almost almost identical circumstances camping hiking kids parents they do this a lot somehow the child goes missing and i yeah. love the fact that we can come full circle on this story at least with the details of what goes through both parties heads how they handle that at the time. Right.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's wild. He uh, Nanty here himself, the 8-year-old, says, I prayed for being found and not stuck out here for the rest of my life. Amazing, huh?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And even that line right there was so telling to me. Yeah. He didn't say, I prayed I was going to be found because I didn't want to die here. He, 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 it didn't seem like he was considering death. He was just considering, I don't want this to be my home for the rest of my life. Right. I I want to go home.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think I love it. Like his first instinct was like, I'm not going to die here. I just don't want to be here. So I'm going to survive until I'm found.
0: Almost 300 people came out to search 60,000 acres, including the Michigan State Police. Very hilly, rough terrain at this time of year. And there's snow. Um, and rain unbelievable story and and this just came out today um so I don't know when this happened uh exactly, but uh the article just came out today from good morning america um I think this, the parents spoke with uh spoke on good morning America today so happy for uh for nanti and his family
1: and big news everybody we figured out where the Paintings are from the Gardner heist. That's next time on the subscription show. <laughs> oh yeah, open it up. <laughs> Let the angels sing.
0: Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. If you like what you hear and you are not a missing a CrawlSpace Premium subscriber yet. Why don't you just click over? You can do it right there on Apple Podcasts. Click over. It's 4 dollars a month. You get this weekly bonus show. You get ad-free episodes and early releases. And you're going to get ad-free episodes of Dark Valley, too. And that's coming oh, in yeah. June to the Crawl Space Media family. So trust us. You're going to want to hear that. Darkness is coming.
1: Darkness is, Darkness is here. <laughs> As long as you're over there on Apple, why don't you swing over? Maybe grab a friend or two, get a bunch of devices, pop that five star review on there. That great, that five star rating, that great review. You know, everybody's going to feel better. Darkness might actually go away. <laughs> Make darkness go away by uh, giving us a five star review. You know I'm why? Because that's your job.
0: <laughs> that's your job